How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow roasted until it's fork tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. Always great being with you, and I love hearing from you. You know it. So why don't you go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543, or you can go ahead and follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L, Jawando. What a week, people. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Um, the government was almost shut down, but we barely avoid, averted that crisis, and we'll talk about that with our next panel. Uh, you have paid sick leaves that finally moved forward, and this morning, obviously, a commuter train crashed at a station in Hoboken, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. Unfortunately, we've heard that there are at least three deaths and an injuries with about a hundred others. Um, details are still unfolding, but authorities said that there are concerns that the train was traveling too fast. Earlier today, Newsweek broke the story that apparently Donald Trump's company violated the U.S. embargo against Cuba Oof. in the 1990s. Yeah, that's right. It is that sketchy. But apparently it's not the first time Trump has been called out for these questionable foreign business ties. We'll have to read more in Newsweek coming out. And again, yet another tragedy in Townville. Um, Townville Elementary yesterday, a teenage gunman opened fire at an elementary school, injuring two students and a teacher. The injuries apparently don't appear to be life threatening, and the shooter is now in custody. This was, ladies and gentlemen, the 37th school shooting in 2016 and the 197th since Sandy Hook. One of our guests that's coming up on the next segment will talk about the fact that there's actually things that we can do. No other developed country sees this level of violence. Um, and apparently there was another Aleppo moment. Libertarian Gary Johnson had another moment. During a town hall yesterday on MSNBC, Chris Matthews asked Johnson to name his favorite foreign leader, and he Blanked. So it's interesting to see how some of the base for Gary Johnson, whether or not foreign policy actually tends to be um, something that are keeping people there, or will they tend to look at either Secretary Clinton or Donald Trump. So I am excited to bring on this next segment because we have a lot of really great people in studio, none other. Back again, all friends to the show, Christian Ramos with Media Matters. You can find him on Twitter at K R A M O S 1841. 
everyone. A first timer to the Leslie Marshall Show family, Mike Sozin is the Senior Vice President for Governmental Affairs here at the Center for American Progress. Mike, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. And last but definitely not least, a friend to many of us all around the country, none other than Igor Vosky, Deputy Director here at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. You can find him on Twitter at Igor, I-G-O-R-V-O-L-S-K-Y. Hi, Igor. Good afternoon. Hi, guys. Hello. It's the, it's the guys in me. I feel like I'm kind of running things like a boss today. <laughs> yeah. So really it's like we're a new fun. musical actor. I know. Oh, okay. We need to come up with a name. <laughs> Call in if you have a name for our new musical act. Okay. So... Let's just talk a little bit. This week was really big. The first presidential debate was held this Monday. Christian, when you finished watching, what was the first two things that came to your mind? <laughs> How completely and utterly unprepared uh, Donald Trump was for the debate. And mostly it really illustrated this this sort of worldview uh, of conservative media and then the rest of the of the world. And Donald Trump, honestly, I think prepared similarly or exactly the same way he did for the Republican primaries, which is just rehearse canned lines that he had heard uh, on right-wing media for the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And he literally had no real answers for uh, a lot of these tough questions. And then the other thing that I think the the debate really underlined and, and showed was the degree to which that same uh, conservative right-wing media talking points uh, regarding <laughs> misogyny are so firmly embedded within yeah. the you know, the conversations that these guys have internally uh, off to the side. And he really brought that to the debate. And I think he continues to sort of double down on this with uh, Alicia Machado. Yeah. The, which is, um, Alicia, for those viewers who may not be familiar, when Donald Trump took over the Miss Universe pageant, um, she was the first winner and has documented in a real uh, stirring um, video where she talked about the embarrassment, the eating disorders, the shame that she felt. Mike, I mean... I just was shocked with when you read this and you heard about her story. Yeah, it's it's shocking details, although maybe we shouldn't be shocked at this point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is his, Trump's history of saying things that are so misogynistic or just basing so many of his opinions on how people look, especially mm -hmm. how women look, mm -hmm. right? He's talked mm -hmm. about who can and cannot be a 10 mm -hmm. um, and always bases his opinions about... I'm like, about, and this brother cannot mm, say anything. Yeah, this... <laughs> he's borderline obese, according to his own medical records. I'm just like, really? <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it's, it's, and, and I think what was so interesting at the debate, one of the many things, is he was so unprepared for when right. Hillary came at him on this issue of misogyny and mm -hmm. his long track record uh, against uh, against women, really. Mm -hmm. And he, he just didn't have anything <laughs> to say um, and, and actually brought up Rosie O'Donnell all over again, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to defend himself. <laughs> and, and, so I think that, you know, he just doesn't know how to get out of some of these cul-de-sacs. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. sure his advisors are just tearing their hair out. You know, despite all of this, despite all what we saw, you still had pundits after the debate saying, oh, well, he didn't do that bad. You know, that first half, he really did really well in right. that first half. Right. And to me, nothing says 
white male privilege mm. than lying through your teeth, admitting you don't pay taxes, <laughs> saying you happily benefit from the housing crisis, and people will still say what a great job we did. I, I agree with that, but I, there's one thing, there's one issue I would take is that the people that really firmly defended this stuff existed on one network which is Fox News and a lot of these, you know, conservative radio hosts. And again, I, the, the the thing that also I think is a is a result of that is and is sort of, I, I guess you're right. We shouldn't be saying surprising anymore. But the utter lack of the the, the surrogates and Trump's people to pivot away from this. Mm -hmm. Literally, he went on the air the next day on uh, the Fox Morning Show and was like, well, she was she was overweight right. and she right. was on contract and so on and so forth. Like, this was a, a valid excuse for calling somebody uh, Miss Piggy and uh, a house uh, house cleaner. That's well, the other yeah, thing that's interesting about Miss House Cleaner. He yeah. was trying to save her job yeah. right, right. <laughs> by giving her this pro <laughs> tip. Right. They wanted to fire her. He was trying to save right. her. Right. He was trying to protect her. Kellyanne Conway was trying to spin that into how he actually defends women. Kellyanne Conway, him. who I think is... <laughs> <laughs> that should be the only answer. Donald Trump's uh, campaign manager. You know, what I find so fascinating about this moment, and I know um, we're we're going to get ready to go to break. And when we come back, I want to kind of just delve into the breakdown, I think, in this election of of how truth and facts just are just completely devoid of any arguments. I think about the fact that we're having uh, the Supreme Court vacancy. We're now almost up to 200 days. And yet the Republicans on uh, Capitol Hill continue to say, oh, well, you know, uh, Democrats used to stop. Uh, moving our judges, which is just false. It's just, like that's just empirically not true. Then you find a situation where we're fighting about the government shutdown um, over people's lives in places, whether you're talking about Louisiana flooding or um, in Flint, Michigan, over water, and and just the 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 lies that just seem to be yeah. present in our conversation. It is just the strangest thing. So when we come back, uh, Mike Sozan, Igor Vosky, Christian Ramos, we are going to keep the party going here on the Les. Marshall Show. I'm Michelle Jawando. We'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Jawando. Always great to be with you and want you to join in the conversation. Give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can follow the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. I am back in studio having a really good time with some friends. Christian Ramos, Media Matters, Mike Sozan here at the Center for American Progress and Igor Volsky, Deputy Director, Center for American Progress Action Fund. So, Mike, before the break, you know, we just got into the fact that we're just at such a, a weird inflection point in history where it seems like facts don't matter. We, again, we're on the precipice of, like, a shutdown. And I think the American people look at these, like, moments and things that are happening on the Hill and um, and just are like, what's going on? Like, why were we about to have a shutdown of the government again? I know. It seems crazy, right? Well, 
we have to remember that the Republicans are in charge of the schedule in both the House and the Senate. And what's ironic is that when the Democrats were in charge, the Republicans for years were lamenting how badly the Democrats were at scheduling things, moving legislation. Uh, they, of course, accused Democrats of gridlock. So it's interesting now to see with the Republicans <laughs> in charge that they are not having much more success. Um, and so th over the course of the year, very few of the big spending bills were moving through what's called regular order, you know, through the committees, going to the floors for votes. And so we're reaching the end of the fiscal year and everything got jammed up again. Mm -hmm. And um, so they had to try to come to this last minute deal, which they did yesterday to avert a government shutdown, which would have happened uh, after tomorrow. September 30th is the end of the fiscal year for the government. Mm -hmm. So they had to get to get uh, they had to pass a package, which they did finally after a lot of negotiations. And that buys them another uh, 10 weeks before they have to figure out again how to pass some sort of big omnibus spending so package. So we come back to this in December, right before Christmas? Yep. Okay. The December 9th is the last day that the government will stay open. So they've got to solve this in what's called the lame duck session. That's the session after the election. So mm -hmm. we'll have some more brinksmanship. And one of the big pieces, um, I think, that was included, and Igor, you've done a lot of great work on this, was uh, the fact that, like, the Flint funding wasn't even included. And when you talk about it seems like we can't deal with any crisis anymore, whether it's um, providing safe, healthy drinking water for an American city or dealing with the um, gun violence prevention epidemic in this country. You look at Townsville Elementary, Congress had an opportunity to do something about, um, about this issue this year and, again, just, like, failed. Yeah, the question is with... The country divided between these two candidates, between these two parties. When will it come to an end? Mm -hmm. What kind of event will we need? What kind of moment will we need? How will the next president, whoever that person is, work to bring the country together to if we can't fund the government, if we can't work together and come together during a crisis, what can we do? And mm -hmm. so I think folks across the country are frustrated, they don't trust government, um, but it's a, it's a real um, challenge for whoever walks into that White House on January 20th to um, begin to turn that ship around. And frankly, you know, I, if I knew what it was going to take, mm -hmm. I would be sitting at a different table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let, let's take this out of the realm of politics for a minute, uh, the, the sort of binary conservative progressive thing, and let's just take a look at this from the perspective of uh, a human being who mm. has to exist in the world. Uh, you guys mentioned Flint and some other stuff, but if I'm not mistaken, there was the, the Zika funding was also right. a big holdup here. Mm -hmm. And what is fascinating to me to watch this stuff play out in the media and, and how people are taking sides on this, you're talking about babies, yeah. right? You're talking yeah. about babies and pregnancy and a very legitimate and real health scare, mm -hmm. which is preventable, right, right, which is 100% right. preventable. And when you're looking at places like Puerto Rico or Florida or... Not even a background, yeah. but I mean, look, I mean, yes, there is that argument to be made, but just in terms of people existing in the country today, those are things that I would... You know, it angers me, certainly, yeah. to yeah. hear that there is, like, even a question about how that money is being used uh, 
to prevent an, a, a national crisis That's right. in terms of the birth of children. Yeah. And, and not only was there a battle over the amount of funding, the actual amount of money. I mean, President Obama said that, and the Democrats said we need $1.9 billion to effectively fight this. Uh, ultimately, Republicans only agreed to $1.1 billion. So that's what's in this temporary spending measure. But in addition to that, for months, Republicans were insisting that there be a policy rider in, in there, a provision that prevented affiliates of Planned Parenthood from using any of this federal money to help women, to help uh, to help children. Crazy. Right. And finally, in good news, the Republicans did relent on that. The mm -hmm. Democrats and, and the president stayed really tough on that. And so that was one little victory in this. But why it's it's sad that we're even calling that a victory, right? right? Why should that have ever been an issue raised by Republicans months ago? And why did it slow this down for months? But uh, not to beat a dead horse here, but the the Planned Parenthood provision of that and and sort of the general demonization, that comes from a very specific part uh, of the media, uh, right wing media, conservative media, and all of this thing. And it it, it is very bizarre, on one hand, uh, to hear the to hear folks really. You know, attack Planned Parenthood because they're, you know, when I say people, I mean right wing media, conservative media figures, attack Planned Parenthood for all of these things, which are basically lies. But their defense of it is because they really care about children. Right. And right. then they block funding to, protect to actually children. protect unborn right. children. And it's just sort of like, wow, if you're paying attention to this at all, your head kind of has to start spinning here because it's, it's absurd. Yeah. So, Igor, uh, we are in the waning days, uh, 40 days before the election, um, the last few months of the Obama administration. What do you think the president's legacy, when he walks away, um, Michelle Obama joked this week that they have a lot of packing to do. <laughs> when he walks away, what do you think, and I want to go around and ask all my friends in the room, what, what do you think is the one thing we'll walk away and we'll say this about Barack Obama? I, by the way, have a good number for a moving company. Okay. If they, if they <laughs> if want they help, help with that, <laughs> I'm there. You can help them pack a little referral <laughs> fee, too, so please use it. I think uh, it's two things. I think it's turning the economy around from eight years of Bush catastrophe, frankly. And it's the Affordable Care Act, which has mm -hmm. ensured 20 million new Americans. And that's a big, big deal. That's a big deal. Mike? Well, Igor stole my answers. But, I, I mean, of course, I think health care reform is going to be a signature initiative. I think that Wall Street reform and regulation is a big deal uh, that it's, people are still, you know, getting their hand, hands around and seeing how much good is, is coming from that. We saw these uh, the great hearings uh, that happened over the past few weeks uh, regarding Wells Fargo and mm -hmm. its CEO and calling him to task for all of the, uh, the fraud that was going on there. Um, but I also think part of President Obama's legacy, um, and it's, it might be hard for people to see it now, is just the sober approach that he's taken to being a president, the way he thinks things through, mm -hmm. and is such a contrast to somebody like Donald Trump. And I think that's why the president's popularity rating is is so high right now because that's people right. say, wow, this guy's actually really smart and cares about us. Christian, you have the last 30 seconds. What's they, the legacy? They go low, we go high. I mm. mean, that really is we how We can't go lower. We can't, we can't just <laughs> knock him out. No, I think that's that's where that's that's where he really has lived. And I, I, I got to tell you, from the Media Matters perspective, the stuff that they say about him, his family, his daughters, it is awful, awful, awful. And they go low and he went high. And it's truly inspirational. Christian, Mike, Igor, always fun hanging out with you guys. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break talking big business, money, and state politics and elected judges. Does that even really make sense? We'll be right back after the break. Thanks, guys.
Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. Uh, we just had a great segment with some good guests in studio, and we're going to keep that party going here on the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Um, I'm really excited about my next two guests who I work with quite frequently and what's called the Fair Courts Movement. And I think most people are very familiar with the uh, Supreme Court or even the federal courts, but you hear less about what's going on at the state level. And what I think most people don't realize, about 90% of the cases that interact and um, touch people's lives are dealt with on a state court's level. So the majority of the interactions that most of the American people are going to have are on the state court level, and we know very little about who those people are, where they're from, their background, and how they got to where they are. I'm really excited because joining me for the next half an hour, none other than Eric Lesh. He is the Fair Courts Project Director at Lambda Legal. You can find him on Twitter at E-D-L-E-S-H. Eric, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show with Michelle Gerondo. Michelle, it's such a pleasure to be invited to the party. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Oh, and brother, I just found out you did musical theater, so we're going to have to have a conversation. I'm so excited right now. And we can get into that. I mean, as we start talking about judicial independence, it certainly brings up um, uh, Alexander Hamilton and the Federalist Papers. So if, we, if we start talking about uh, Hamilton, we can go there. We're ready to go. Good, good. That's the kind of party we like here on the Leslie Marshall Show. And none other than a colleague and friend of... Of this show, Billy Corrier, who is the director of research for Legal Progress at CAP. You can find him on Twitter at Billy, B I L Y, Corrier, C O R R I H E R. Billy, welcome. Thanks, Michelle. It's always a pleasure to be here. Always great to have you back on the show. So, you know, there's been a lot of attention. Obviously, the last segment we had a lot of time focused on Congress and the presidential election. But there are some really important elections that are happening lower down on the ballot, including, and I think a lot of people don't know this, elections for judges. Um, so, Billy, you know, you just put out a great report about uh, big business and how they are affecting courts around the country. And then, Eric, you recently released a report about threats to impartiality of judges and um, work around elected judges and LGBT rights. So... I'd love both of you to kind of give our readers just a little bit of a uh, little overview. And why don't we hear about these issues more often? And so, Eric, I'll start with you. Get the party started. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Thank you so much. So, uh, you know, I, I guess one of the things that we were trying to do with our report, Lambda Legal is the oldest and largest national legal organization that litigates and is committed to achieving full recognition of the civil rights of LGBT people and people living with HIV. So, um, you know, we were the main party bringing uh, the case in Lawrence versus Texas, which uh, struck down all remaining sodomy bans uh, by the Supreme Court. We, were, we had one of the parties in the recent marriage equality case. So we do a lot of litigation in the Supreme Court, in the lower federal courts. But I think one of the things that is overlooked, as you kind of teed up, are just how critical the state courts are to um, LGBT people and people living with HIV. Um, 
you know, marriage equality is kind of uh, settled now, but LGBT people uh, continue to face significant legal challenges. This can be ongoing employment discrimination, uh, unfair parenting laws, unequal access to health care, uh, some of the abuses that we've seen uh, by the criminal legal system. And so in many of these cases, um, particularly in criminal law cases and in family court cases, these are all primarily heard by state courts. Um, so it's critically important that we look at, you know, who are the judges who are serving, particularly at the very highest levels, who are charged with rendering decisions in a lot of these cases? How did they make it to the bench? Um, and are they treating LGBT people and their claims fairly, hmm. ruling impartially? Hmm. So uh, our report really looks at a couple of things. One, just how important the state courts are. Two, how judicial elections uh, represent kind of a threat to LGBT rights. Um, and I can go into that a little bit later. But then we also kind of look a little bit about um, at the stunning lack of diversity that we see on the state courts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so as you go down, there have been some really striking reports about just how overwhelmingly uh, white and male uh, the state courts are, and when it comes to LGBT people, just there's a significant lack of data, even about how many openly gay, lesbian, tra- transgender, bisexual judges are serving us on our state courts. That's right. um, so that's another critical piece because it affects not only the ability to receive a fair hearing, but also the perception that the people who are coming yep. before the courts are being treated fairly. And this is something, you know, um, Billy and I have done some extensive work really looking at that question because I think oftentimes what people don't recognize is the perception of justice is almost as important as the doling out of justice. If people don't feel that there's a faith in these institutions, then you maybe you don't turn to these institutions when you actually need them at critical segments in your life. So, Billy, tell us a little bit about the Big Business Report. Oh, sure, Michelle. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, Eric had mentioned the fact that state courts hear all these marriage uh, and adoption issues, but they also hear most of the lawsuits in this country. Uh, most of the time when someone is injured, they're going to look to a state court for justice um, to, for someone who's, you know, negligence contributed to their injury. Um, and so what we, what we really tried to do with this study is look at um, the states that had seen the most money in campaign contributions for their Supreme Courts and try to get a sense of whether um, those courts were more likely to rule in favor of corporations and against folks uh, who were injured who filed lawsuits. Um, and so we looked at six state Supreme Courts in Ohio, Michigan, Texas, Alabama, Illinois, and Pennsylvania – And what we found was that most of these courts, um, all of them except for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, ruled uh, more often in favor of corporate defendants. Um, And we looked at uh, cases since 2011 and found that those six courts voted in favor of corporate defendants 73% of the time. Um, And 73% of the time they voted against folks who had been injured. This includes like injured workers, um, folks who were injured, uh, you know, while they were getting health care. Uh, workers who had faced discrimination, um, all kinds of folks who were looking to these courts for a remedy, and um, and in too many cases they they couldn't find it. You know, what one of the highlights that I thought was really interesting 
again, the conversation about the presidential election um, this year has been different because you haven't really heard the same mega donations from um, big donors like the Koch brothers and like the Sheldon Edelstons of the world. But yet in your report, you highlight that some of these donors have kind of moved their funds from the presidential um, to state court elections, which is just crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's really scary. I mean, a lot of these folks aren't particularly comfortable, I guess, spending money to try and elect the current, um, you know, to, to spend money in the current presidential election. That's so it seems like a lot of that money is going to move down ballot this year. Um, the Brennan Center for Justice just did a report about um, the increasing amount of secret money or dark money in judicial elections um, this year. Um, so it's definitely true. I mean, the Koch brothers really um, got started, I think, working on judicial elections before they, they turned to more national-level elections. And now it seems like they could be turning their attention back there again. And, and Eric, you know, we're going to get ready to go to a break. But when we come back, <clears throat> I would love for you to just talk to us a little bit about why you, you found in, in your report how these elections are pressuring the judges who currently sit there um, and kind of looking at that frame and what we can actually do about it because I don't think enough people are talking about this and if they knew, they would be more engaged. You're listening to Michelle Jawanda on the Leslie Marshall Show with Eric from Lambda and Billy from CAP and we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. And go ahead and give us a call and join the conversation. 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I'm back in studio with none other than Billy Courier, Director of Research at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at Billy Courier. And none other than Eric Lesh. He is the Fair Courts Project Director at Lambda Legal. You can find him on Twitter at E-D-L-E-S-A. So, you know, we are 39 days before the election, an election that most people um, are thinking presidential. You have obviously a number of contested um, Senate races and and obviously some congressional. But, Eric, you know, you spent a lot of time in your recent report really talking about the pressure that elected judges, particularly when it comes to LGBT rights and access, um, feel, and then kind of moving forward with judgments that aren't really supportive of expanding those rights. That's right. So, I mean, what really brought Lambda Legal into kind of looking at this issue in the first place is we had, uh, back in 2009, we had one of the very first kind of marriage equality rulings that was a victory from the Iowa Supreme Court. And, of course, the Iowa Supreme Court, those justices are appointed, uh, and they unanimously ruled to strike down the marriage ban out there. Um, And then after they did, three of the justices were up for a retention vote. Um, No justice had ever lost a retention vote in Iowa, but a bunch of anti-gay groups like the National Organization for Marriage uh, came in and dumped a million dollars into this race, 
and was successful in unseating three of those justices, kind of in punishing them for their ruling. And we were really worried that this, you know, has a chilling effect on all judges saying, you know, rule against us and you will be next. Mm. So our report kind of looks at, you know, do judicial elections, the way that judges are selected in various states, have any impact on the way that they're ruling in LGBT rights claims. So we looked at all state high courts uh, from 2003 until 2015, um, all the decisions that impacted LGBT rights, um, and what we found was that judicial elections uh, uh, elected judges are less likely to rule in favor of LGBT rights than their appointed counterparts who never stand for election. Wow. So, for example, uh, 53%, uh, uh, well, those who are elected in partisan elections would only rule in favor of claims about 53% of the time versus, you know, judges who are appointed and never stand for popular election those judges would rule in favor of LGBT rights about 82% of the time. I mean, that's just such a massive spread um, between the two. And, Billy, you know, the connections between your work and Eric's work, um, the the central theme here is like money and politics. You know, in some ways it goes back to kind of this conversation, and I know we, many court watchers, are, are paying attention to whether or not the Supreme Court is going to move on a similar case in Wisconsin involving uh, Governor Scott Walker and some of his actions there. But there seems to be kind of this infection in our justice system when it comes to our judges who should be fair, who should be impartial. Um, But they're making decisions based on some empirical evidence um, in a lot of different contexts that seems like if you are elected, you are less likely on the side of the people and more more on the side of the people who put you in that seat in the first place. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it, Michelle. I mean, if you look at the report that Eric did and the report that, that we did, um, I think that's the, the common thread is that these judges are being pressured by special interest groups, you know, whether that's coming from the National Organization for Marriage or the Koch brothers or whoever. Um, when you elect judges, you know, you open them up to that kind of political pressure. Um, and I think there's a reason why no other country in the world really chooses judges in that way. I think there's a good reason why. So wait a minute. Let me make sure our listeners get this. We're the only developed country in the world that elects their judges? Yes, that's that's (laughs) true. Um, Japan and Sweden elect some tiny lower court judges in a few places. And Bolivia just started electing their judges recently. Um, But other than that, it's just America. Wow. Um, And, you know, if you look back in our country's entire history, federal judges have never been elected. That's right. Um, And, you know, like Eric's study suggests, when when you're appointed for life and you don't have to worry about standing for election, it really frees you up to rule in favor of the people, to rule in favor of individual rights. Or to just follow, like, where the law (laughs) takes you. (laughs) Maybe there's that whole thing. There (laughs) is that whole thing. You know, know, one of the the other things, I think we'd be remiss not to mention that you know, Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court, Roy Moore, was on trial just yesterday for abusing his office by instructing probate judges not to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples in defiance of federal law. He had been removed from the bench in 2003 for for defying federal law, and then he openly ran against the rights of 
LGBT people, literally vilifying them. He wrote some really, you know, just disgusting language about um, gay people being an abomination in an actual judicial opinion in 2003. He did it to get reelected on the stump, and now he's he's back up on the Supreme Court of Alabama serving the people. So, you know, it's hard if you're an LGBT person imagining a case coming before the Alabama Supreme Court and that you're going to get a fair and impartial ruling Mm -hmm. when you've got a chief justice who's openly run against your rights. And this is, you know, not just for LGBT people, but if, you know, you look at the Texas Supreme Court, if you go on their websites for some of these justices who are elected in partisan contests, it is not uncommon to see endorsements from Texas uh, Right to Life or Tea Party Patriots or, you know, even in some cases, uh, glowing endorsement from James Dobson. So if these are being touted on a justice's website, the, the confidence that a person uh, would have that their claim was going to be treated, you know, on the law, on the facts, with no kind of finger on the scale to the interests interests that help get them there in the first place, um, you know, it, it, it kind of flies in the face of reason. You know, um, Billy, as we get ready to head into um, the election season, do you think that w- we will see on the ballot kind of opportunities to move away from electing judges or moving people forward who, who recognize that this is a threat? Is this even something that people writ large are, are doing? I mean, I know there are some states like North Carolina that seem like they were moving a few years ago in the right direction, kind of at least publicly financing um, judicial elections so you take away some of the heavy influence of outside money but are actually now well well you know how North Carolina is just all messed up right now no offense to my North Carolina listeners but we got a lot of work to do in that state Um, but you know is there any hope out there on the horizon of moving away from this kind of um, scheme well you know as a native North Carolinian um, I I couldn't agree more Michelle I don't know of anything that's going to be on the ballot this year, but I know there are a lot of folks out there in North Carolina, um, in Kansas, and in other states where judges are facing these uh, this kind of political pressure who are working to um, to institute reforms. I think that North Carolina's public financing program was a real model for reform. Um, I think we saw, you know, when they instituted that program, they saw a lot more racial and ethnic diversity and gender diversity on their mm-hmm. courts, mm-hmm. Um, on their appeals courts. Um, and then since they've repealed the public financing program, uh, you know, there's a concern that, that we're going to see um, a lot of that diversity go away because diverse candidates don't have access to the same kind of fundraising networks that, um, that a lot of other judges have. Um, so, you know, I, there are folks on the ground who are pushing to restore public financing in North Carolina, and I think that would be a huge step forward. So, Eric, if you had to name this this um, kind of current scheme of how we elect our judges, um, and we were going to create a musical, uh, <laughs> what would what would the title be, and what would the lead character do? <laughs> Uh, man, that that is a really uh, good question that I haven't wrapped my head around. Um, but I think, um, you know, partisan justice 
uh, with an exclamation point because all good musicals need to have an exclamation point at the end. We love Artisan Justice <laughs> might be might be one. I love and it. look, look, we've already seen kind of a storyline here that's actually really real, which is I don't remember know if listeners remember the John Grisham novel, The Appeal, mm-hmm. but you know that kind of dealt with this issue too, where you had special interests kind of electing a justice in Mississippi uh, who was going to rule against or throw out this kind of uh, big uh, money award for, um, for you know, uh, a bunch of consumers, and special interests helped elect that judge to throw out the case. And, of course, that's based on real life. That's right. Um, Listen, the time got away with me. This is Michelle Jawando, Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back next week. Appreciate you being here. We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Cosmic Chicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.